Welcome to the Inner Huddle, a youth football development podcast for parents, coaches, and managers of young aspiring footballers. Your hosts from Pezza Street Soccer are Pez and Jeff. Welcome along to the Inner Huddle. I'm joined in the studio, as always, by Jeff. And on controls, we have Donna. How is everybody today? Very good, thanks, Pez. Good. Right. So this is the inner huddle. Welcome along. We have in front of us, Jeffrey. I think it is 14. 14 questions sent in by the general public. Real random mix, as always. Should we just get cracking straight away with question one? I have heard that there is talk of banning tackling in youth football. Is this true? We haven't actually sat down and talked about these questions, have we? So no. it's, I'm quite interested to what you think on some of these. But yes, there is some talk of it, believe it or not. Um, I, I don't don't know what you feel about it. Um, I think it's all stemmed from there's a development league in Manchester where they try out lots of different ideas and different things. And I think they've banned tackling as one of their things based on, I believe, some medical research that... You know, due to injuries with young children. Um, what do you think about it? Um, there's tag rugby, um, which obviously is their uh-huh. version of no tackling in rugby. But getting a tag, you could see, is probably the same as getting a tackling in rugby if you got that close. Um, is tag rugby solely because um, of injuries at a young age? Yeah, or do I you think, think so. it's because it's a nicer introduction to the game to get people to fall Probably a combination of both, yeah. Okay. Um, and I think with any rule changes, even if it's a scenario or a challenge you're setting in training, there's always a trade-off. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it might be a bit safe and there'll be a few less injuries, but that's part of sport risk, isn't it? And Anything enjoyable, usually an element of risk involved. Um, it's, it's part of the game. You've got to be careful because if it's based on medical research and there's experts who know more about it than we do are saying it should be banned. You've got to be careful to be a traditionalist and say, well, you've got to have tackling as part of the game. But it's part of the game. It's like having pole vault without a pole vault. Yeah. You know, it's... The the trade-off that would worry me is if you'd have gone to um, Argentina where Messi grew up and said to him in his school playground, there's no tackling, Messi then doesn't develop or someone's dived in a bit early and there's a little trigger for me to take it past triggers is the key word you don't get to learn to read those signals do you and that that will be a a massive part of a dribbler's game that you're taking away a cue if someone's gone in for a slide tackle and you can lift it over their leg or drop the shoulder and go the other way um so you're the trade-off is you might be really missing out on a massive part of youth football development if you just say there's no tackling especially if it only happens in this country and not in others they're going to get a massive advantage there straight away in, in long-term development. But, uh, and it's a skill like any other, let's have it right, they're players you've made a living and played at the highest level because they can read situations and they can time tackles. It's, it's a skill like any other and needs to be practised. Unfortunately, to get good at anything, you need to try it yeah. and fail at it and make a few mistakes and give away a few fouls um, yeah. to learn from it, to improve and for it to become an art like Another any other skill. Another example would be George Best, if you look back on clips of him, and he was the master at riding a tackle, wasn't it? Chopper oh. Harris tried literally <laughs> chopping his legs clean off and he carried on through and scored a goal. And he just... This, it's the other side of the the argument is, and the trade-off again, is a good defender, somebody that reads the game and doesn't need to make a tackle. So there's another side of the argument where you can say, well, if a defender stays on their feet, they should, 
they'll be a better defender anyway. So there's an argument to every side of it, and I don't know what the right or wrong answer is. No, great start. (laughs) Great question. Thank you. I thought it was actually the easiest question that we could possibly start with, but actually when you look into it... Yeah, you dissect it and it gets a bit more complicated. Yeah, I mean, they've banned heading the ball in... um, in America, I don't know if it's parts of America or all America and what age group it goes up to, but when I was out in LA in the summer with Richard Chatlow, he was saying that his boy plays and he can't head the ball at all because he's not allowed to. But that's different because that's based on research and concussions and long-term head impact injuries and things like that. So you do have to be careful, but I'm not sure how many bad injuries you get through tackling with 5 to 12-year-olds. Um, I haven't seen many. Yeah, it's, um, it's, again, with the heading, it's, it's one of those things, if I talk to my dad, who's really old school, he'd say, well, I used to head the ball every day hundreds of times, and I turned out all right. Ooh, <laughs> type thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's probably not the greatest of examples, is it? I know a few centre-offs that used to just head it and kick it all yeah. match, and, uh, yeah, to be found in a local pub rocking somewhere. But... Again, it's, it's actually a skill in itself, heading the ball. Massively, it's all about timing, and it's an art form. But I can remember one of my first ever coaching sessions that someone took for me. It was horrendous. He had a coach, I think, in his wellies, booting the ball up as high as he could in the air. And we had to try and head a ball into a little bin. And everybody, we could see their shoulders coming up near their ears and they didn't fancy it at all. And I don't see how that helped us develop our head and ability. No. So as with all of these questions in general, there's also different sides to it. Um, I was going to say, and you make up your own mind about it. But if it becomes a rule, then it doesn't matter whether what your opinion is, it will be a rule. There must be a safe way to train the technique of it, but then you're not using it in a game situation. Situation, so you're not getting all the other variables of someone trying to win the head off you. So you could have a sponge ball or a, a plastic ball that you can yeah. buy from garages and things like that. So in answer to this question that has come in, is this true? Yes, it is true that it's being looked at. So there's your answer. You're you're a parent. You're a mother. Yes, um, that's a rather long answer. What do you, what do you think of um, banning tackling and heading to help protect the children? Um, I think you can do it up until a certain age but then they're going to have to start doing it because if they're thinking about doing it professionally they need to start preparing themselves and learning how to deal with that in a safe way yeah okay so actually a very interesting start jeffrey yeah and i'm sure if your technique's right the the damage is i'm not a scientist so don't quote me on this but if your technique's better you're going to have less problems than if your technique's poor and you're just letting the ball hit you on the head because you're scared of doing it because you haven't learned the technique True. So as with everything, learn how to do things properly and give yourself the best chance of protecting yourself and being safe. Right. We've one question down, Jeff. And uh, 13 to go, your favourite number. Donna, would you do the honours of reading out question number two, please? Number two. My son likes to dribble with the ball. I think he's really good, but other parents and quite often the manager keep shouting at him to pass. He gets very down about it. Can you give me any advice? (laughs) <laughs> yes, I'm sure we can. <laughs> Jeff's got the giggles over there. Right. It's a great question, by the way. It is a great question. And to be honest, it's all too common a problem, isn't it? Yep. Firstly, dribbling should never be coached out of them. So if a manager and parents are continually on at a child to pass the ball, it's fundamentally wrong and it's got to stop. The tricky bit is how you make it stop. You need to speak to the manager first. Yeah, ask him what his opinions on it are, and and tell him that, you know, your child's not happy about it, and then come up with a way of, you know, win-win situations all around where everybody's happy. But it should never be coached out of them. The, the lad might go on and be 
the next best dribbler, which we lack in this country, you know, that we've ever seen. And to get coached out of him, as I don't know what age he is, um, but I'm presuming he's a, a young one, is, is wrong. Agreed? Yeah, and if you could maybe try and explain, there'll be a reason why those parents and the managers are shouting to pass the ball. And more than likely, it's because they want you to pass to their son, who can then shine. And it's not the way a team sport should be played, I don't think. It's made up of individuals, isn't it? But It is frustrating if you've got a child in a team and um, other players are what they call ball hoggers. That tends to be what they get get referred to as um, and are a little bit selfish maybe and aren't sharing the ball about. It, it is frustrating, but you have to try and find a right balance because every child's as important as each other. And that starts with the manager, really. Um, to be honest, we had a player like this a few years ago, and I, I don't think they'd even mind me mentioning him, young Sanjay, who just loved playing with the ball. And it was very frustrating for everybody. And to be fair, I did it until I was about 35 as well. We'd beat one or two players and then try and beat them again. And it, it does it does cause a few problems but if you work with the manager and try not to make it too much of an issue with the children and the child themselves, it can be addressed. And one simple way of, of, of trying to encourage them to pass, I've always found, is praising absolutely nothing but a pass. So if they're beating players, you just ignore it. If they're scoring goals, you ignore it. And that goes for everyone. But a pass, you just go pass. Those, those shouts really need to change from pass the ball to get your head up isn't it so that you're making a decision rather than but that can still just be serious. yeah you should never shout pass 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 no. whatever that's just playstation managing anyway yeah, even if you were trying to encourage the passing you would like you say scan get your head up different triggers and it might take some time unfortunately and i think then it's the manager's responsibility to speak to the parents uh, and just say look we've got a kid here who his style of play is to dribble the ball and he's not going to be perfect at it and he's going to give the ball away um, and he might not pass the ball when you think he should, as always, work together for win-win situations and for the better of the team and the child. But the simple thing to do is just to keep shouting at him, oh, pass, pass, and, and coach it out of him, and that's, that's wrong. So um, you can't leave it. It has to be addressed. And if it's not being addressed, you have to find a, a team and a manager where he's allowed to express himself. And then... You know, for that child, you can look at Messi. Again, I'm going to go back to Messi. Statistically, probably the best dribbler in the world. He gives the ball away, statistically, more than anyone else in the league yeah. this season. So it even happens at the highest level. It's um, it's very frustrating, you know, like I said. But has to has to be addressed. And, and just for the record, Sanjay went on and signed for Southampton Football Club and has been there, what, is this his third season now or something like that? So um, it wasn't coached out of him, thank, thank goodness. And that's what attracted um, Southampton to him because he was a good dribbler of the ball. And had it been coached out of him, then he might not have ever got his opportunity there. So And it's a massive part of the England DNA now about getting players that are comfortable to stay on the ball because sometimes if you can stay on the ball a little bit longer rather than just playing one and two touch and you might then just allow a bit more time for your teammate to make their run and pass the ball. So they might actually become a better passer because they can stay on the ball a bit longer than others that can't. True. But yes, in answer to your question, a bit of advice would be don't let it go on any longer. I mean, we're almost at the end of the season now. Um, maybe uh, 
put things in place for next season or, or try it now and see if you've got a couple of games left, see if anything changes. And if not, look for a new team next season because I think it's that important. Yeah. Okay. Question number three. Shall I read one out? What have we got here? Right. Oh, wow. This is going to be a biggie, Jeff. I have recently passed my level one and would like to be a professional coach. What advice do you have that might help me? Wow. We could do a whole show on this one on its own, couldn't we? Definitely, yeah. What are your thoughts on it first, Jeff? I've written a few notes, so we're not short of a few things. Like anything that's worth doing, it's hard work, isn't it, if you want to become yeah. a professional coach? I would uh, probably, my advice would be, go and do loads of voluntary coaching or, and get your hours in and, and practice your trade that you want to become a professional at. Absolutely. I mean, I've... I've written loads down here because it's obviously something we're passionate about and we try and mentor a lot of youngsters to follow the path of being a coach one day um, or a professional coach. Um, I've written down, become a student of the game. FA courses are a great starting point, but they are not enough. Very generic and perfect numbers. All the drills are you need 12 for this or you need six players for this and then you suddenly start coaching and you've got 13 in your squad. It is getting better. It is getting better. And the child-appropriate ones are much better. Um, But still, good starting point. But once you've got that bit of paper, then go and learn how to coach. And find your own principles and your own reasons for doing things and your own ethos, because that's a good starting point. Why are you becoming a coach? You know, what's your goals? And then you can keep referring to those goals with everything that comes up and opportunities that come up in the future. I've put here, it's not about getting thousands of session plans because there's session plans everywhere. You can find them, books, little coaching cards, internet, there's things you can purchase. It's absolutely um, saturated with coaching drills, um, which is great. But if you've got a set of principles um, and an ethos, you can then find coaching drills that fit in with your ethos things like I mean, one of ours is maximizing your time isn't it yeah. so anything with loads of straight line cues um, and kids hanging around you know waiting for one touch of the ball and then drawing the back of another cue we won't even entertain will we so we have a lot of a lot of different principles that these drills have to fit in is that fair yeah i couldn't agree with that more um it's, it's another great question <laughs> yeah, I, might, I might even have to come back to that one a little bit because it's... Okay, well, actually, I mean, we've been talking about, um, rather than these sort of generic random questions, doing shows on specific yeah. topics, and I think a coach's show, a coach's special, like the Futsal special we're doing in a couple of weeks, might be a good one so we can give a little bit more time and, and thought to this, this. This is what always worries me. If you see a coach on social media and most of their stuff is about them, then I worry for that coach. Because I think yeah. it should always be about your players and your individuals in your team, or it could just be an individual you're coaching. It, yeah. it should always be about them, not about you. Agreed. And once I saw a, a coach saying that they had a thousand session plans and boasting about it, and um, well, I'd never give you a job because you just don't get it. You don't need. I think Jose Mourinho's gone through his whole career with between twelve and twenty-four session plans, and. Fact. What a, what a great example as well. Someone who went in as a translator for Bobby Robson. Yeah. And now he's at the very top of the game. So he had to learn his trade and do things. Not voluntary, exactly, yeah. obviously, but he found a way in. I wrote here, do more than you get paid to do. 
with everything. And it doesn't matter whether it's football coaching or whatever. If you're a drama student or something like that, then go and volunteer at your local drama club and give yourself half a chance. You know, you said it yesterday to our very own George Plank, or to me about George Plank, about learning your trade, do your apprenticeship. And that might be with coaching, having 13 kids in the pouring down rain at an after-school club and being really thrown in at the deep end and, and, and sometimes doing actually worrying not knowing what you're going to do next because that's where you learn the most. Yeah, it's the process and outcomes again, which we'll get on to later. The outcome is you want to be a professional coach. You need to be passionate about the process, which is doing your apprenticeship and being a sponge and a student and getting mentors. And Wow, we could go on, couldn't we, Jeff? Anyone can be a football coach. What do you call the worst doctor in the world, Jeff? A doctor. <laughs> you know, it's the same with a football coach. What do you call the worst football coach in the world? A football coach. It's not enough just to be a football coach. Um, and having session plans and drills up your sleeve, you have to have principles and ethos and learn about the psychology of how children learn because they're all different. Um, and the other thing, <laughs> I'm going to go on here, but talking about Facebook posts and things, coaches that are experts on everything from the England team to who Southampton should be picking every week, um, right the way down to toddler football, they worry me too. Yeah. Because you can't be an expert on it all if you've done it properly. Yeah, teachers tend to either be a primary school teacher, a secondary school teacher or university yeah. lecturer. You can have an opinion and an opinion based on experience, but, I mean, with us and myself personally, I, I think I'm an, pretty much an expert in the younger age groups, the primary school age groups. I can have an opinion on the older age groups. I can have an opinion on who Gareth Southgate should pick in the England team, but I'm... You've got a lot of opinions about a lot of things. Yeah, well, that's why I'm on a radio. Hey. Do you want to do one more question? My son has come on leaps and bounds recently. This has led to a lot of interest from different clubs and organisations. I'm confused as what is best for him. Do you have any advice? And if you thought I waffled on the last one, I have written far more notes on this one. You're going to have to do your research because <laughs> I don't know all the different organisations and, and clubs that might be interested in your son. So you, it's going to be dependent on who these people are and what they're about and what their ethos is. Exactly. I've pretty much said it in the last one. Don't think just because they're a football coach and they've got this badge and that badge that it's actually any good for your child because your child's an individual and has their own needs and wants. And Can they not go for a little trial taster yeah, session? Yeah, I would have thought so. I mean, I don't know what organisations and clubs, whether it's pro or whether it's, um, you know, something you have to pay to be in, but, you know, do your research Ask questions and don't automatically presume that it's the best place for your child um, based on a little bit of razzmatazz. Just be wary of the salesmen out there that are trying to sell you something that's not really there as well. Google's a good place. And also, if you want to try and search something and, and find out things, if you type in the name of an organisation into Facebook, it will come up with what everybody has said that's open and public on Facebook. So you can get Wowzers. good advice that way. I like that idea. Yeah, because not everyone puts good comments um, or bad comments on the internet, they'll put it onto Facebook or something, and then you can have a little yeah. look down and see what people say. I would still be a bit weary of that as well. I, I think your first one, go and have a look. Yeah, go and have go a look and, and see. Look. Go and, and get a feel go for and the try place, it but... and get your info. Ask questions, and not just questions about football. Questions about you know how important is my son, and and how are you going to help with other areas of his life, and things like confidence building and self esteem are so much more important than actual football. The inner huddle. From Peza Street Soccer.
Right, welcome back to The Inner Huddle. Um, we're on question four at the moment, which is somebody confused and wanting some advice because their son is um, probably, by the sounds of it, showing a little bit of potential. And as always happens, everybody wants them to play for their team, club, organisation, shadow squad, talent centre, elite, this, that and the other, pro, whatever it might be. Um, and it is very, very confusing. Um, and the world has gone recruitment mad, Jeff. Yeah, it has. I've just reread the question back and the first part says, my son has come on leaps and bounds recently. So there's obviously something happening right wherever they are currently. Yeah. So maybe um, don't get too carried away and let them enjoy whatever they're doing that's working. You get a lot of people in your ear, don't you? When... Uh, mm when your child is showing a little bit of potential and a lot of people have opinions on where they should go and where they'd be better off and this worked for that person and whatever and everyone seems to forget that each child is individual and has different needs and wants and aspirations and intrinsic motivations for doing what they do and it might be just leaving where he is because he's getting along just fine and he's coming on leaps and bounds. But the world has gone recruitment mad and it's, it's a bit of a minefield, isn't it? Yeah, and years ago, when I was much younger and a little bit less wiser, um, I would have just said, you have to go and play the highest level you possibly can and, and all these kind of things. But I don't know, I think I'm, I'm changing my mind on that a little bit. And if things are working wherever you are, there will always be a right time maybe to move on and have a challenge and things. But you must be being challenged to come on leaps and bounds. So I think to answer the question, do you have any advice, it would be look into it and get as much advice as possible and it might be something that we can find out who this person was and get back to them a little bit more in depth because it's that important simple terms would be to find somewhere where they put development first over results and it's a process and outcome thing isn't it if you want your child to excel at anything first it has to be fun and obviously safe Um, and and secondly they have to fall in love with the process of what's going to make them good. A lot of these places get obsessed and transfixed, and, and a lot of parents do too, on an outcome. Whatever that outcome is for for managers, it might be to win games, or organisations might be to say how good they are by winning matches, um, or it might be to get someone into a pro club to make an organisation look good, or parents might want that. And that's an outcome. Now, outcomes and opportunities take care of themselves. Okay, you don't have to force it. You don't have to keep taking your kid around to a million places to find someone who sees what you see. Um, Fall in love with the process. Find somewhere where the process is excellent, has good principles and a good ethos, and encourage your child to fall in love with the process. And the process is continual development, and that's as a human being and as a footballer. It's a simple advice, so look into it and forget all the razzmatazz about we do this, we do that. And we've done this and we've done that because that was a different child. All right, Find somewhere where um, development is put first over any sort of selfish outcomes. Enough? Brilliant answer. Well, should we, should we go on? I don't know. That's what we're passionate about, I guess. Um, so we, we could talk a lot more. What does Donna think? As a parent, though, yes. um, surely you would be more interested in taking your child where they're going to get looked after both on and off the pitch. Yes. Rather than as being used to, uh, I don't know, um, help some guy's ego to win a game or to look good. I agree with Jeff. If they, it says here if they're coming on leaps and bounds, well, if they're only just starting to do that, 
leave them where they are. See how far they can go where they are. They seem happy. They seem settled. They're doing, you know, just leave them there for a bit. See what go, what happens, you know. You might mm. prefer to stay there. Don't be hasty. Look into things. Get your advice. Happy? Yeah, I think you should read the next question because I'm not sure if you want the bit read out in brackets or not. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I'll read it. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's um, it's all been sent in, so we have to read what comes in. What's the best or appropriate practice on developing the goalkeeper in grassroots football? And then, yeah, in brackets, and it's quite random, not JPL or Academy. So I'm not really sure what's going on with that one. Um, firstly, JPL is grassroots, so that bit's irrelevant. And Academies have their own goalkeeper coaches anyway. But if this person is saying that they're involved with a club or has a child that's interested in becoming a goalkeeper or... You know, showing signs that they might be good at it or I'm not sure whether they're interested in coaching as a goalkeeper and the bad news is we're not experts in goalkeeping are we it goes back to that trying not to be an expert in everything but we'll have an opinion on it as always there are experts out there though yeah and we love goalkeeping coaching we do love goalkeeping it is coaching. an individual coaching session more often than not isn't it you can do goalkeeping sessions where you're playing out from the back which involves your team but there's lots yeah. of amazing drills on youtube that don't take a lot to find that you could just do at home in the garden or we often the share park. them with each other don't we because we yeah. love it the reason being is most drills and things you see online or on social media are kind of x's and y's and team training and this is how you can get your group to play like barcelona and win a game of football within five weeks within five weeks and <laughs> this is how i did i'm a genius yeah. uh, i'm the next pep guardiola whereas goalkeeper coaching has to be individual or you know done with maybe two three keepers um and we we love that aspect of it so we often share little drills don't we yeah and there's lots of thinking that you know they're not just using a football and kicking a ball at a goalkeeper they'll go and um i've recently bought um uh, stress punch balls um, for, for the workplace. You so need them. <laughs> when you're stressed at a desk at your computer, you you punch this punch ball, and, it, <laughs> and it's on a little spring. Yeah. Now the England um, futsal goalkeeper coaches use them, so I've bought two of them. And so um, Sean and Paddy in my futsal team can do the same practices as they've been doing, and there'll be things involving tennis balls. Um, basketballs and and different hand-eye coordination and really things that really stress your brain and like brain gym at school when you're trying to wake up the kids before they start their math session or something. some of them are great aren't they yeah so i think my advice would be have a look on youtube if you know if you've got a child and you want to do some practice there's loads of reaction stuff things with balloons where you've got to keep a balloon up and then make a reaction save tennis and balls and things i've seen i've seen a table put up on its end so that you can't see the which where the attacker's coming from, which is like looking for a crowd of defenders. So you can recreate the stresses of a game without having your whole team in front of you and just stood there not really practising themselves. The goalkeepers, they're just always thinking outside the box. So a lot more imagination goes into it, isn't there? That's yeah. probably why we find it so fascinating. Um, if you're serious about it, then do look into doing the FA goalkeeping courses. Yeah. I don't know anyone that's done them, so I, I don't know what they're like, but... I imagine it's a good starting point like anything else. And now there's a lot more to goalkeeping than just shot stopping as well. So I'm not saying neglect playing out <laughs> from the back. And You have to be good with your feet yeah, now as well, don't you? Especially if you so. want to play for Man City um, and play the way they play. So 
and, and have a look for. I imagine there'll be one-to-one goalkeeping coaches as just for keepers, isn't there? Yep. Uh, which locally. I think are all over, but we we have one locally as well. So, so yeah. As with everything, do your research, have a look, see what works for you, and get your advice. And there's get your tennis rackets out and tennis balls and yeah, learn and that, these drills, and they're great. Have some fun with it. Who was the goalkeeper coach we got in at? Um, Futsal club who videoed everything. That was Andy Reddin, who's now gone on to become the England futsal goalkeeper coach. Yeah, he was brilliant. I used to Top love job. watching the, the things he did with and the he, futsal keeper. He'll have stuff on YouTube and just have a look at it. Yes, yeah, so what was his name again so people can... Andy Reddin. Andy Reddin. Okay, have a look at some of his stuff because he was particularly good. I used to find myself watching his stuff more than the actual um, football stuff that was going on. So, right, good. That's question number five, I think, put to bed. Question number six. Donna, are you going to read this one? Uh, how beneficial do you think extra one-to-one sessions are for individual development? It's a great question. Well, I've jotted down, as always, a few things, but I've put mainly it depends on what you're trying to achieve and who is doing them. The short answer is yes, but it should never be a substitute for group sessions. There's a certain type of parent, possibly, that thinks if you throw a few quid at something you're going to get a desired outcome and it's not as simple as that as if you know I want them to be this or they want to be that I tell you what we'll throw a few quid at it and it's it's never as simple as that is it Jeff you know we've done them one-to-ones and it's great for technique and technical aspects of the game but you can't replicate that random chaos of what they call in America scrimmage football the actual game um, because they need to be subjected to thousands and thousands of game situations to make mistakes learn from them and become good decision makers and it's difficult to recreate in one-to-one situations you can build a very good technical base yes you're going to miss out on the social and the psychological habit forming and repetition brilliant but it is an add-on it's not a i'm going to go to -to one-to-one coaches and i'm you know it's like doing tennis ones without playing matches you can't recreate certain elements of the game the Inner Huddle, a youth football development podcast for parents, coaches and managers of young aspiring footballers. From Peza Street Soccer.